ever known. I mean, in the history of humanity, the greatest preacher the world has ever known was Jesus Christ. How many of you would agree with that statement? I mean, nobody could captivate an audience like Jesus. Nobody could communicate truth like Jesus. And, and as Jesus taught, he would often use stories that people could understand to help them build a bridge to a truth that maybe was beyond their understanding. We call these stories parables. And, and we think of the word parallel. Something that is parallel is something that comes along beside another. And when Jesus taught using parables, he brought a, a story alongside a truth. And when they would understand the story, he'd say, okay, now with that in mind, that's how this spiritual truth works. And Jesus loved to take parables to help people better understand truths of God's word. In fact, we know that in the New Testament, there were 36 occasions where Jesus used a, par a parable to teach people truth. There probably were many more than that, but in the Bible we have 36 occasions where Jesus took a parable to help people better understand the truth of God. Of the 36 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of those parables were used to help people better understand finances and the role of them in our lives. In fact, one out of every 10 verses in the New Testament deals with the topic of finances, with how we handle money. One, one man went through the Bible and read specifically in the New Testament. He said there are about 500 verses in the New Testament dealing with faith. There are about 500 verses dealing with prayer. And there are about 2,000 verses dealing with finances. Now, I want your attention real quick, so I'm going to make a statement. And uh, it, might, it might grab you, and I hope it does. I want you to know something today. God is interested in your money. And it's not because God's broke. God is not broke. Let me, let me explain to you why God is interested in your money. Because he's interested in you. And money's a massive part of our lives. And so how we handle it is, is of great importance. You see, God's interested in how we secure money. He's interested in how we spend money. He's interested in how we save money. He's interested in how we share money. God is interested in in the way we handle finances because it's an enormous part of all of our lives. And we are in the midst of this series we're calling Fully Devoted. And, and when we think of Fully Devoted, we have to understand that it will have an impact on how we handle finances if we live a life that's fully devoted to God. So we think of finances, sometimes a, a barrier can go up. But, you know, don't go there. This is church. That's not a spiritual topic. And I want you to know that finance is a massively spiritual topic. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 6 one time said this. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we could go in depth into that verse, but I want you to see that Jesus made a connection between our treasure, our financial lives, and our heart, the two are linked. They're tied together. Financial management is a supreme test of our heart. There's a pastor who went to heaven a few years ago that I admired greatly. His name was Adrian Rogers, and I think he may have preached on TV. I know he was on the radio and had so many books written. He made a statement I thought was awesome. He said this. He said, a faith that hasn't touched your wallet probably has not touched your heart. And again, that was his way of elaborating on what Jesus said. There's a connection, a faith connection between how we handle the material. Think with me, when Jesus taught about the widow who gave her two mites, and maybe you are familiar with the story of the widow who gave her two mites. When Jesus gives us that accounting, he's teaching us how our attitude towards money should be. 
Maybe you remember when Jesus spoke about the one we call the unjust steward or the unjust manager. When Jesus shared that story, he was teaching us about our attitude towards material resources. He, he talked one time with a man that we just call the rich young ruler. We don't have his name. The Bible says he was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. And so we think of that encounter that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. And Jesus was pointing out in that narrative that that man missed it in life because he did not own his possessions. His possessions owned him. So many of the encounters that Jesus had were to help us understand if we're to live spiritually, what practical impact does that have on the material? We're going to study a principle today in the Bible known as the principle of the tithe. It's a principle that's found from one end of the Bible to the other end of the Bible. It was found early on before God had even given His law. There were people of faith who tithed to God. There were people during the days of the law, when the law was supreme, of, uh, uh, that, that gave in the, that way. It was a principle that Jesus affirmed even in the New Testament. And it's, it's helpful, I believe, for us to understand this principle so that we can know that we're living fully devoted lives to Jesus Christ. And we have a passage before us today that addresses this principle head on. It just deals with it clearly. And um, I'm looking forward to teaching this to you today. If you're able and willing, would you please join me in standing as we read the Word of God this morning? How many of you are ready to receive the teaching of the Word? Good. After how I introduced what we're going to be talking about, I'm glad you're still with me. But believe me, this is a great topic. You're going to be helped. And we're going to look to Malachi chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. The Bible says, Even from the days of your fathers, you're gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Now, I'm going to read on, but uh, this is the Lord speaking through this prophet Malachi. And, and he speaks of his ordinances, the, the commands of God. He said, You know, you've gone away. You have not kept them. He said, Return to me, and I'll return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, wherein shall we return? So the Lord says, listen, you need to return to me. And, and he says, listen, and I know your heart. Your heart is, well, God, where should we return? We're pretty devoted. God, what is it in our life that, that you're saying is, is not as it should be? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And God says, in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you a window of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. I want us to talk today about this principle of the tithe. Our Father, we are thankful for the privilege we have to be in church, to worship you, to be with one another. And, and God, as we deal with this topic today that uh, can be a little bit uh, interesting in how we handle it, I just pray that our hearts would be open, that if something said today is not from your word, that it would be discarded immediately. But Lord, that we would embrace the truth of the Bible and live it. I pray, God, that you'd help us to grow to devoted and beyond to fully devoted for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. 
The nation of Israel had known some great times and they were God's chosen people. They had enjoyed God's provision and God's presence in a very, very special way. But as is so often the case, the narrative of this nation is that sin would would come in and after a while, sin for them became a way of life. And, And sin, as it always does, it led to destruction. The history of Israel would share that in time they were totally taken over, they were led captive, and it began a very difficult season for them. The the results of their wandering was incredibly devastating. The the nation was was, uh, taken over, as I said, and, and gradually during their time of captivity, during their time where they were removed from their land, a spiritual renewal began to take place. Some, while they were removed from where God had placed them, the place of God's blessing, they began to think thoughts like this. You know, God is good, and He has taken care of us. And there began to be a sense in their hearts that, you know, maybe we should have a renewal in terms of faith in God. During this season, the Bible tells us that God brought along some people that served Him in a very special way. If we were to take just the timeline of it all, we know uh, the captivity came. About 70 years later, God blessed them and, and a remnant of the people went. And God brought about a man by the name of Ezra. And the purpose of Ezra's ministry was to restore the practice of temple worship. Now, the temple wasn't completed at that time, but worship was restored in Jerusalem. A short time after Ezra, a man by the name of Nehemiah went to Israel, went back to Jerusalem, and he was used of God to rebuild the walls around the city. And and God used his life in a great way. And about a hundred years after Nehemiah was used of God to rebuild the walls around the temple, the prophet Malachi comes to the people and shares the words that we just read together a moment ago. It was a time where the people had a lot of actions that resembled dedication, But on the other hand, there was a lot of half-heartedness. The temple was being neglected. Families were drifting. A spiritual malaise had creeped into the land. And and people were claiming to wait for the Messiah to come. But there seemed to be little thought that if the Messiah came, he would observe them not doing what he'd asked them to do. And so Malachi was a man that loved God. And Malachi was a man that loved these people. And so being a man of God, he wanted to take the Lord's word to them. And and in his effort to affect their hearts, he took the time to address a topic that is a topic that can stir us all up. He dealt with this topic of finances, of money. He's pointing out how that, that selfishness had crept into the hearts of God's people. And it was really robbing them of, of their spiritual joy. And, and so he, he was sharing that the neglecting of the tithes illustrated their lack of being fully devoted. So with this backdrop, Malachi shared some really helpful and powerful truths. And I believe his words can help me today. His words can help you today. And so as we take an honest look into this this sometimes difficult topic, I want us to let the Word of God speak to us. And so with that in mind, if you have your notes nearby, here's the first thought we're going to have to consider. First of all, what's the meaning of the tithe? And we're going to see that together. The meaning of the tithe. In verse 10 in our text, the Bible says this, Bring ye all the tithes. The tithes. Now, he was using a word that everyone that he was speaking to would have understood. And, and yet it's a word that we don't often use in our vernacular. And, and I frequently meet people who wouldn't be familiar with that tithe. And so we've really got to establish what's that all about. The word tithe essentially just means a tenth. A tenth. It deals with, with 10%. Tithing, as I said, is seen from one end of the Bible to the other end of the Bible. Before the law, the Bible tells us that Abraham tithed. 
he tithed. The Bible tells us that his son followed Jacob and Jacob tithed. But I want to share with you real quick a statement that Jacob made that can encourage us. In Genesis 28 and verse 22, the Bible says, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So the word tenth and tithe was used interchangeably. Jacob here said, God, you've been good to me, and for your house as you bless me, I'll take a portion of that which you've given to me and give it back to you to be used in your work. In fact, I believe that Jesus practiced the tithe. Now, if you were to say, Pastor, can you show me a verse that says Jesus tithe? I, I have one in mind that I could share, but there's really another reason why I would say this. In the Jewish writings known as the Talmud, there were rules given, and many of the religious leaders, like the Pharisees, abided by a rule that they would never even have lunch with someone who didn't tithe. And yet we find that Jesus routinely ate with these people we call the Pharisees. I think we could conclude from that that Jesus was a man who practiced this principle in his life. One author said it this way, Abraham commenced it, tithing. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Malachi confirmed it. Jesus commended it, and we shouldn't cancel it. This has been a way where people of faith, uh, really for all of time, have worshipped God, the meaning of the tithe, giving of a tenth. Tithing has always been a way for God's people to be included and his work and the benefit of a round number like 10 is it's really easy for us to do the math you know just move the decimal point over and although all of us may tithe a different amount if we tithe because our incomes are different all of us can give the same amount in the sense that it's a percentage we can all give the same percentage and so we see the meaning of the tithe but i want us to move on from there and consider the second element where we think of the joy of tithing the joy of tithing. You see, Malachi knew something that he thought the people did not understand. And so he thought there's something these people need to really understand. He was a man who had an understanding of how great God is. He knew that God would bless those who give in, in many different ways. He knew that God was worthy of our tithing. You see, this is a man that understood that tithing is not a drudgery, something we just have to do. It is a delight. It is something we've been invited by God to do. And he had this, this thing fixed in his mind. In fact, as we give, God blesses our lives in many different ways. I know today we think of the so-called TV preachers that say if you give to God, he'll make you fabulously wealthy. And, and I don't believe that, but I believe with all of my heart in a God that responds to children who give in faith by saying, well done, child. Uh, I, I'm going to take care of you. In fact, in verse 10 in our text, let's look there again together. God says this. He said, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I really do believe with all my heart that if we have enough faith in God to tithe, we'll understand that God says, listen, I can take care of you. I can bring a blessing into your life. Sometimes God's blessings are different than we would think. I believe that sometimes God blesses us in ways we never see in the form of withholding things that could be harmful to us. In fact, the Bible goes on in verse 11. God adds to this. He says, furthermore, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. 
and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. So God said, listen, sometimes I'll bring a blessing, an obvious blessing in your life, but other times behind, behind the scenes, be working in such a way where you may not even know it, but there's a God working in your life that's protecting you and keeping you safe. Think of God's giving to us. Perhaps the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave. And the verse goes on, and perhaps you know it, but there was this connection between loving and giving. You see, God never gave to us because he just absolutely had to in that sense. He was coerced to. No, he was compelled by way of love. Giving and love are connected. A couple weeks ago, Lisa and I got away for a few days and I don't know how many things I'm good at in life, but one of my favorite things to do is to work the point system with airlines and all these things. And if I've got a free moment, kind of my hobby is figuring out how can I maximize all that to enjoy some time. And Lisa and I had an opportunity. We had Sky Miles and had it all worked out, and, and uh, we were away. And when we're away, typically we'll, we'll go pretty frugal, you know, and, and uh, yet there will normally be one night in the midst of a time where we'll get away together where we'll, we'll go to a nice restaurant and enjoy a nice dinner and and uh, when we were on our trip recently, this night came and we went to uh, this restaurant and, and we sat there and we're looking at the water and it was just beautiful and, and uh, we we're happy to be together and, and uh, they had a list of specials and one of the specials was a meal I know that Lisa really likes and I kind of saw her eyes get a little bit bigger. I'm like, get it, just get it. We're, let's enjoy this night, man. And uh, so she got it and uh, it, it, was a, it was an expensive meal and she got it and, uh, and I was happy for her to have had it. Now, I want you to imagine if she was eating that meal and I was sitting across the table just staring at her like, I can't believe you, you know. That was a, that was a dollar bite right there. I hope it tastes good, you know. That was a $2 bite. That was a big bite, you know. Just imagine if I was just aggravated at her the whole time. I can't believe you're actually eating that meal. No, that I, I, I may have enjoyed her meal more than she enjoyed her meal because I love her. And I was so glad to be there. And I thought, you know, this is awesome that we can be in this place, that the preparations have been made, and that we can enjoy this time together, providing that was a joy for me. As I've shared, I believe in the principle of the tithe, but I also believe that if we are not joyful, please hear this, if we are not joyful in our giving, we would do just as well to keep our gift until our heart catches up. I do believe that. You see, God looks at our heart as we tithe. And simply put, God loves for us to be happy givers. He doesn't want us to be the guy across the table going, I can't believe I had to tithe. You know, that, that's not the way he wants his children to come to him. In 2 Corinthians 9, the Bible says this, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. But God said, Here, here's how it needs to work. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. When we understand who God is and the joy of giving to him, we'll see tithing as a joy. And that leads to the third thought this morning. I want us to see the place of our tithing. The place. Now Malachi used an interesting word picture here as he taught about tithing. And in this passage, he shared the words of God, and God said this, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse. Now, the storehouse was a, a word that referred to a special room that was a part of the temple complex. It was a place where people did their giving. So, to give you an analogy, if a harvest brought it, or if a farmer brought in his harvest, he would take the first fruits, the tithe, 
and he would take it to the temple and he'd drop it off at the storehouse. If, if uh, a rancher ha- had a bunch of new calves, he would, he would take the first fruits, a tithe, and it would go to the storehouse. So a part of the temple complex was the storehouse and that was the place where people would give. I want you to catch this. They gave where they worshipped. That's the way it worked. They, they gave at the temple. Now, throughout the Bible, we read things like this. I'm going to read a verse to you from Proverbs, and we find this all throughout the Bible. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says this, honor the Lord with thy substance, that's our material possessions, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Now, what's the first fruits? Man, it's that first part. It's that tithe. And, and so they brought it to the place where they worshiped. And today we know that we worship in a local church. Now, I think we can all understand this. Tithing where we worship. Imagine if I went to McDonald's and said, yeah, I'll have a Big Mac. Man, I love those Big Macs too. Raw beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese. This song just came in my mind. I haven't heard it in years. Uh, pickles, onions on a sesame seed, bun, bun, bun. I think that's how the rest of that goes. But imagine I go to McDonald's. I say, yeah, I'll have a, a, a Big Mac. And, and they, they give me a Big Mac, and they tell me what the price is. And I say, oh, you know what? Listen, I love Big Macs, but I've heard Burger King struggling a little bit, so I left some money down at Burger King. I just thought I'd pick a Big Mac up here. And they'd say, no, that, that's not how it works at all, you know. Uh, and, and, and I think it's important, if I can use that analogy, God's plan for financing a local church, the church where we are fed, the church where we worship, the church where we are helped, and the church through which we help others, God's plan is that the place where we worship Him would be the place of our giving to Him. There's a great verse in the Bible. In fact, I was talking with someone before the service day, and I said, you know, I don't know a better verse in the Bible as far as just explaining all of this. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2 says this, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. I want you to think of all the questions this verse answers. We can say, well, God, when do we give? He'd say, oh, the first day of the week. The first day of the week. Which day is that again, God? Well, that's Sunday, the first day of the week. When do we give? The first day. Okay. Well, who is to give, God? Let every one of you, everybody God's blessed everybody, so everybody can, can give. Well, how do we give, God? And, and the verse says, well, as God hath prospered him. We don't have the capacity to give unless we've first been blessed by God. And so as God prospers us, that's how we can give. And we can say, well, where do we give? And the verse says, lay by him in store. And it's very interesting that this word store, it's tied to that word we're reading in our Old Testament passage in Malachi of storehouse. It's, it's the idea of giving in the context of the place of worship now we can enjoy giving in any number of ways but tithing for the believer is reserved for the place where we worship and fellowship and serve we are to tithe to the church that we're a part of that leads us to the final thought today and for many in a sermon like this that's your favorite thought the final thought okay i want us to think of the power of a tithing people the power of a tithing people Now, if if we look at our giving to God as something that reduces our value, we're missing the picture altogether, okay? So, I mean, let's say your life, your whole life is boiled down to, I have $10. And we think, oh man, so I got to give God one. I've been diminished by one. If that's how we view giving to God, we're really missing the big idea. We're missing the picture of it all. You see, being fully devoted to God in this part of our lives honors God and blesses, blesses us when we understand that. But listen, it leads us to a much greater power when we as a church family come together. We worship Him. We praise Him. We study His Word. All of this is worship. And when we collectively 
bring our tithes into the storehouse of our local church, what it does is it creates the power here for us to do more by working together than if we all were just on our own. My records are accurate. I haven't preached on this topic since 2011. I'm really sorry about that, okay? I'll try to do better, but I haven't talked on this since 2011. But I went back to see what it is that I covered then, and not that any of you would remember. I'm always worried about, you know, I don't want to say that if I've said it before. But I shared some purposes that are met throughout our collective giving. What happens when God's people come together and when we worship God through the tithe? And, and I, I, by way of review, I want to share a few of these purposes with you today. Number one, the purpose of remembering. The purpose of remembering. Tithing is a weekly appointment with God whereby we are reminded that it all belongs to Him. It's just a weekly appointment whereby I'm reminded, you know what, this is all God's anyhow. He could have asked for all of it. It's all his. But he says he wants me to worship him. And I'm reminded of that. Uh, in a group this size, there are several different kinds of people. And by the way, uh, I don't know who's in which group. And I wouldn't love you more or less. Uh, it matters not to me which of these groups you're in. But there are some people today who if asked, uh, listen, do you tithe? You'd say, I do not tithe. You do not tithe. There are other people who would say, uh, yes, uh, I, I tithe. I, I, I give God, 10% of what is mine. But there are others who say, yes, I tithe. I give God a tithe because all of it's His. My life is His. All I have comes from Him. So I'm not giving God 10% of my stuff. He's just kind enough to let me keep 90% of it to use in my personal life. It's this understanding, this all belongs to God. I think of Leviticus 27 and verse 30, the Bible says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. I heard of a missionary who'd been teaching in a really remote area uh, about tithing. And as he was teaching many new believers, he uh, wrote the story that one day a young man uh, came to where the missionary lived and he brought a, a fish. And he said, missionary, uh, you taught us about tithing. And he said, here's my tithe. And the missionary said, you know, oh, that's great. You know, praise God. And, and was glad the man was getting it. But he said, uh, where's the other fish? Where's the other fish? And the man said, oh, they're still in the stream. Uh, I just brought God's first. I'll go back and get the rest later. And, you know, the missionary was talking about how that man really understand the heart of it all, okay? And maybe he still had some room to grow in his understanding. But his heart was, hey, God's going to take care of me. After all he's done for me, I just want to be faithful to him. You know, even the ability we have to earn, to think, uh, to work, all of that comes from God. And, and tithing really serves a purpose of, of reminder for us or of remembering. The second one is this, the purpose of reach. Tithing allows our collective influence to reach out to others with the love and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to get political today, but we do live in a day and age where a lot of people are like, you know, I want free stuff and this and that and programs, and I want that guy to pay for it, you know? And uh, uh, we think, you know, if we could get other people to pay for stuff that I want, that would be awesome. And sometimes there's kind of a spillover where we could say, you know, I'd love to go to a church, and everyone has all kinds of expectations of churches today. Oh, they've got to be awesome, have every program in the world. But I think all of you guys understand that none of that happens unless we come together in our giving and our service to make those kinds of things happen. And, and when we come together, what happens is our reach as a church exponentially grows. 
God has promised to reward our collective giving in a very specific way. Again, in Malachi 3.10, he said it this way. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. We can simply help more people when we work together in this way. I think of our missions team around the world, 65, 70 or so missionaries around the world that our church supports. We, we could never do that if we didn't work together. I think of Rock Hill getting ready to have service this morning. Man, God's doing some special things there. You know why they're able to be there? Because of your giving, your faithful giving. I think of the ministries that will happen on this property. Did you know yesterday we had a service for inner city kids here in Oceanside, and they were blessed. A couple weeks ago, we had 13 of them saved on a single Saturday. Today, we're going to have four worship services in this auditorium. We're going to have a Spanish worship service across the way. We're going to have three worship services for the children. Uh, we're going to have about 145 or so different volunteers in our nursery, and we need more, but we're going to have children ministered to uh, throughout the day. Think of all the massive amount of ministry that happens on this relatively small piece of property. And why does it happen? Because God's people come together and say, you know something? If we work together, we can get a whole lot more done. We see the purpose of reach but there's another purpose that i want you to think of with me it's the purpose of faith now guys i'm telling you the truth today and what you do with it is up to you but i want i want you to know this nothing will build your faith like learning to trust god for even our financial well-being how ironic is it that we would say yeah i trust god for my spiritual salvation but boy as far as you know month uh, monthly expenses and so forth I, I just get a little nervous about that that's why our text says in Malachi 3 and verse 10, God says it this way, prove me now. What's God saying? Put me to the test. Try me out. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, we don't give to get. That's something entirely different. But we are assured when we give to God that we are essentially saying, God, I trust your system of accounting far more than I count, uh, trust my own. Studies have revealed that the typical church member, still with me, say amen. Studies have revealed that the typical church member in the typical church has never sought to prove God in this way. Our day's not much different than Malachi's day. In that in our day, the, the typical person who'd say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, the typical person in the typical church has never put God to the test in this way. And today I'm standing up here and I'm challenging you to take God up on his word. Put God to the test. Try him out. I want to challenge you to take God up on his promise. Let him prove that he can take your 90% further than you could take your 100%. Let him bless your life and reward your faith with greater faith. If God is real and the Bible is true, what I've said today is clearly biblical. You guys have been with me through this study. It'll work for everybody, even you. I heard a story years ago of a pastor that preached on tithing. And um, a man came to the pastor afterwards and said, you know, I'd really like to talk to you about your sermon this morning. Pastors love to hear that after sermons on tithing, you know. And, and uh, so he met with the guy. And, and really what the guy had to say was interesting. He said, you know, pastor, I believe every word you said. I know it came right out of the Bible. You didn't make that stuff up. But he said, you know, I've always had just a hard time with tithing. And he said, it just has never seemed to me like I've had extra money laying around to give to God. And the pastor said, well, God said, prove me, try me. He said, why don't you just tithe and see if God can, can take care of you, can meet your needs. And, and the man said, well, that, that's the problem. I just struggle with that. And the pastor said, all right, I'll tell you this. 
He said, why don't you give for the next three months? And at the end of those three months, if you're worse off then by obeying the Bible than you are today, you tell me what the financial difference is, I'll pay you personally. How's that? I'll pay you personally. The man said, let me get this straight. I do what the Bible says. If it doesn't work, you'll pay me anything that I think I've lost. The pastor said, that's right. And the guy said, great, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll take you at your word, pastor. And that's when the pastor said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. But let me ask you this. Why would you take me, an imperfect person, at my word, but you won't take God at his word? And the story went on to say that that was kind of when the proverbial lights came on for that young man, where he understood that how we deal with finances isn't so much a financial matter as it is a faith matter. It's about coming to the point where we'll say, God, I want to trust you. And, and really, my prayer is that, that we would be people that would grow from maybe being devoted to fully devoted in this way. Now, we all have the prerogative of doing whatever we want with the truths we find in the Bible. I often say we're free to make decisions. We have no freedom when it comes to the consequence of our decisions, but we're all free to do what we would with this. But I think it's also very clear today that this is exactly what the Bible teaches. And it left me wondering. Left me wondering this. I wonder what would happen if all those who called Coastline their church home, I wonder what would happen if we decided to honor the Lord in this way. I can only imagine it would enable us to do more, to extend our reach further, to help more people, to see more people come to know Jesus. I can only imagine what would happen if we came together and said, God, we want to give to you in this way. We want to support your work. Wouldn't it be awesome to see the extent that our reach could really be if we said, Lord, as a church, we don't just want to be devoted to your house on Sunday. We want to be fully devoted to lives that will obey you every day. Have you taken God up on his word? Our Father, we thank you today.